0: Welcome to the first episode of Ireland's Place in Space, the podcast that celebrates the role of Ireland and Irish people out along the final frontier. I'm science journalist Sean Duke and I'll be your host. This podcast is supported by space industry Skillnet, who are co-funded by Skillnet Ireland and its network companies. Ireland joined the European Space Agency or ESA in 1974, And in the years since, it's built a local space industry with as many as 70 companies now engaged in contracts with ESA. Ireland is also home now to many leading space scientists, working in fields as diverse as solar physics, robotics and artificial intelligence. The topic for today's first episode is Earth observation, and it's an area that Ireland already has a strong presence in, both in industry and among researchers. For those that might not be quite sure, Earth observation typically involves making use of data from satellites that closely observe the Earth from space. Satellites provide information about the Earth's clouds, oceans, land and air. They can also observe wildfires, volcanoes and smoke. All this information helps scientists predict weather and climate. They can also help farmers, for example, know what crops to plant and when. Today we're going to talk to three people who are involved in earth observation work here in Ireland. First you're going to hear from Conor Sheehan, Ireland's National Delegate to ESA, who's based at Enterprise Ireland. Conor will provide us with an overview from an industry point of view of what's going on with earth observation here in Ireland. Then you'll hear from Fiona Cockwell, a researcher at UCC who's been using data from satellite imagery to monitor changes happening here on planet Earth. Finally, we'll hear from Charlotte O'Kelly, the CEO with TechWorks Marine, a dunleary based company that's providing data for the offshore renewable energy industry, as well as ports and harbours, coastal engineering and the aquaculture sector. First now, let's hear from Connor Sheehan.
1: Earth observation is a means of measuring conditions on the Earth using satellites. In our case, it's uh, primarily the European Sentinel family, which is the most advanced EO, Earth Observation, satellite system deployed to date. It also encompasses using airborne and in situ sensor-derived data. So that means we get a complete picture from space to the ground of what's happening on the planet and we can understand better the what's hap- what's driving climate change the effects of the climate change are having and we can particularly help the agriculture sector uh, aquaculture sector and societies by understanding and trying to put mitigation processes in place to prevent coastal erosion flooding events around the country and others
0: Can you tell me about the earth observation sector, the commercial sector uh, in Ireland and the role of Enterprise Ireland in supporting that?
1: The sector is growing from strength to strength. Uh, We have a number of companies providing services internationally. These companies are transforming data into commercially valuable information. For example, Davra is developing a solution to monitor mining tailings with a view to preventing human and ecological disasters that have happened in the past when the vessels uh, rupture. Uh, Cremetrix software tool is being used to maximise the yield from forests worldwide, and the ICON Group is leading a European collaborative project to develop the Danube Environmental Risk Assessment Programme and monitor, analyse and characterise environmental risk across 20 European member states. In Enterprise Ireland, we support industrial development through our membership of the European Space Agency and our lead activity in a number of European Commission-supported activities, including the Copernicus programme and the Horizon programme.
0: So, I mean, how long is the sector around in Ireland and how is it developed, uh, you know, and, and, and then maybe you could, say, tell us what the prospects are for the next couple of years. Our primary focus on EO... Is what is called downstream activities,
1: where the focus is to develop a sustainable internationally traded services sector based on converting EO data sets into commercially useful information. In Ireland, we have a strong ICT sector across data analytics, including artificial intelligence, machine learning, video analytics, and indeed gaming. All of these skill sets are relevant to realizing this ambition. We're building on a strong foundation of companies that have been active in the sector for many years, and we're del- encouraged and delighted to see that the number of co- companies is growing exponentially.
0: Can you tell me about the European Space Agency's uh, Earth Observation Programme and how Irish companies are taking part in that? Uh, this programme, or
1: EOP, is the largest programme in ESA, European Space Agency, and focuses on a number of activities. Uh, they lead in the development of the European EO satellites, the Sentinels that I referred to earlier. They develop their own scientific missions, the Earth Explorers, and of particular relevance to Irish industry, they run a number of close-to-market product development activities, most important of which is the INQ program. This is a 50% co-fund program, which Irish companies are benefiting um, quite a lot from and using extensively. Increased activity by Irish companies is showing success across the variety of the calls published by EOP.
0: Do you see any specific areas of earth observation that are opening up for opportunities for Irish companies, maybe companies that haven't been involved before in the next couple of years? And our primary focus is to develop disruptive
1: services that can be traded internationally. These applications will be applied to security, agriculture, coastal defence, water quality, flood mitigation measures, food security, to name but a few. We're working actively with institutions, government departments and their agencies, the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, and others to identify real need and opportunities and introduce client companies to the same. What I find with Earth Observation, it's a bit like nanotechnology was 15 years ago. It's everything and nothing. It's a very impressive solution that needs to be applied to specific problems. And we're actively helping companies identify where the problems are, where the opportunities are, and develop the solutions for the same.
0: Going forward then, uh, in the next five, ten years or so, uh, how well placed are we in terms of the skills that we need for uh, earth observation work, such as artificial intelligence, data analytics? Are the people there? Do we need to upskill in any way? We have a strong cohort of ICT companies in Ireland, supported
1: by a world-class research system and can look with confidence into the future. For example, we're working with Cedar, it's a UCD-based uh, national technology centre for artificial intelligence on developing Europe's first AI for EO, which are being put together based on uh, data that is, data sets have been identified by industry in Ireland that they need to to, ident- to address real-world issues such as um, energy using. EOP satellites, the Aeolus data, as well as Sentinel data to identify ideal locations for wind farms at sea.
0: I mean, in general, Earth observation seems a good area for Ireland in that, you know, we're not, you don't have to make enormous investments to get involved in it.
1: Correct. In many ways, um, everybody can have a, a go at bringing value using these data. You need a computer an internet, internet connection. And access to data sets which are uh, freely available through the European Space Agency
0: and uh, the European Union. That's great. And just, just finally, Connor, um, has the pandemic affected the sector like all, everything else? Uh, on the upstream side,
1: so the uh, hardware and deployment of satellites yes there's been a delay in manufacturing the satellites but on the downstream side strangely enough it's acted as a, I hate to say it but um, it's been a bit of a benefit the lockdown and home working has helped companies companies are reporting dramatic increases in productivity and are demonstrating innovative solutions to global problems what we find is many of our companies are giving employees 10, 20% time to give it a go, so to speak, and they're becoming very creative and novel in the way they're uh, developing tools. There's a strong increase and in a realization by the companies that they're actually using uh, AI and ML
0: techniques. That's fascinating. So, I mean, you know, there, there, just in general, there's this idea maybe that people would become less productive if they're at home, but that says the opposite is happening here in this area.
1: That goes back to my previous uh, comment about all you need is your laptop and uh, secure data access in your way. And obviously
0: a lot of knowledge. Yeah, and a lot of knowledge. Connor. thank you for telling us. Uh, that's a very good overview there of what's happening in Earth Observation in Ireland and the connection to Europe, etc. Thanks a lot, Connor. That was Connor Sheehan from Enterprise Ireland. Now time for Did You Know, our regular slot where we'll be seeking to explain the background for each podcast theme. And today we're talking satellites. The history of satellites in Earth orbit began with Sputnik 1, a polished metal sphere about two feet in diameter that was launched in 1957 by the Soviet Union and sent pulses of radio waves back down to Earth, where they were picked up by amateur radio enthusiasts all over the world. In Russian, the word Sputnik means satellite, and its launch appeared to confirm the technological superiority Of the Soviet Union over the USA. Certainly its launch was greeted with alarm in the US and triggered what became known as the Space Race which lasted between the two superpowers until the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. A few years after Sputnik's launch the first commercial satellites were being used to transmit telephone calls. The very first such call was made via the Telstar-1 satellite in 1962 between then AT&T chairman Frank Kappel and US Vice President Lyndon Johnson. Satellites have impacted hugely on our popular culture since the 60s, heralding the arrival of the global television broadcasting phenomenon. A seminal event happened in 1967 when up to 700 million people watched Our World, which was the first live global satellite TV broadcast. The broadcast was controlled by the BBC in London and is remembered by many still today for featuring a performance of All You Need Is Love by The Beatles. Today, many of us enjoy a huge range of television satellite channels, which are beamed into our homes via a number of providers. But satellites, of course, are also used to perform science. They can look out, observing space, or as this episode highlights, down, observing the Earth. There are an estimated two to 300 large Earth observation EO satellites in space. In addition to that, there are thousands of smaller microsatellites or smaller still CubeSats or NanoSats carrying out various observations of the Earth. Certainly, the pace at which satellites are being launched is accelerating as companies like Amazon, OneWeb and SpaceX are in the process of building and launching hundreds of satellites, all connected in constellations, with the aim of providing fast internet services to every corner of the globe. Current estimates suggest that our atmosphere is becoming a little too crowded with satellites, with between 2,500 and 3,000 active satellites now orbiting the Earth, and another 3,000 or so that are obsolete. It's certainly true to say that a whole industry has built up around the building, launching, and the using of data from satellites since Sputnik 1 was launched 64 years ago. Let's hear now from Fiona Cockwell at UCC.
2: So I use a lot of satellite imagery, particularly in the visible wavelengths and the near infrared part of the spectrum. So these are images that would look somewhat as we would see them with our eyes, plus longer wavelengths, which particularly help us to understand what's happening with vegetation and how vegetation might be changing, either over the course of a growing season or over the course of many years. And I'm interested in looking at time series of imagery to try and better understand how the environment might be changing either due to human activity or due to natural changes and those that are induced by climate change, both natural and human uh, anthropogenic climate change. So I've looked at a range of different landscapes. I started my remote sensing career in uh, Greenland and Canadian Arctic, looking at the ice sheets and the ice caps there, trying to estimate how much melt there might be under different climate change scenarios. And then more recently, I've looked at the Irish landscape and particularly some of the different vegetation habitats in Ireland.
0: So studying from space, if you like, observing the Earth from space gives you some advantages over just uh, working on the ground.
2: Oh, totally. I and mean, I've, I've done field work in both Greenland and the Canadian Arctic, and I know just how difficult an environment it is to work in and also how localised the information that you can collect on the ground is. I mean, the Greenland ice sheet is a huge mass of ice, large parts of it completely inaccessible. And so when you're doing groundwork and fieldwork and even setting up monitoring stations that are going to continue to collect data once the field scientists have gone home, it's a very limited data set, especially spatially. And one of the the benefits, the huge benefits that the satellite data give us is to be able to look at the spatial variability and to maybe understand why we're seeing some changes in some areas that are quite different to the changes that are taking place, perhaps just a few kilometres or tens of kilometres away. And that kind of spatial variability is very difficult to appreciate when you're actually in the field
0: maybe tell us about your Earth observation research uh, in relation to the Irish landscape and and maybe what uh, satellites uh, are up there looking down at Ireland.
2: Okay, so one of the satellites that we use quite a lot is called Sentinel-2. It's one of the European Space Agency instruments. And there's two identical platforms, Sentinel-2A and Sentinel-2B, and they collect data at between 10 and 20 metres spatial resolution. So in other words, anything that's on the ground surface that's bigger than 20 metres in size can be seen by Sentinel-2. And for some of the wavelengths, anything that's bigger than 10 metres in size can be be, uh, identified using the Sentinel-2 sensor. And the beauty of the... The two instruments working together, the two identical instruments means that we've got double the amount of information that we would have if we had only one instrument. Because one of the big challenges of working in the visible and the near infrared wavelengths in Ireland is going back to that question of cloud cover and the fact that uh, frequently in Ireland we have either complete cloud cover or partial cloud cover, which does limit the amount we can see on the surface. So one of the other instruments that we've also used a bit is Sentinel-1. Again, there's two identical platforms, but this operates in the microwave part of the spectrum. And those microwave uh, wavelengths are able to pass through the cloud cover and give us information about the ground surface. But the information that we can get at those microwave wavelengths is much more limited compared to the optical wavelengths. And so what we're looking at is how we can take the information from the two different instruments and work with them together to give us a more complete picture of what's happening and changing on the surface.
0: And of course, your research uh, in the university and UCC, I mean, all of that feeds into information that's useful for government agencies or even commercial companies.
2: Yes, I mean, you know, quite a bit of the work that we've done has been funded by the Environmental Protection Agency, but we've also been funded through the Department of Agriculture, through the Marine Institute and other semi-state agencies such as that. And while I've done a little bit of work with commercial companies, we haven't yet got to the stage where any of the work that we've done has been operationalized in a commercial context. But maybe that's something that will come further down the road.
0: Now, just finally, then looking forward, say, five, 10 years, what kind of investigations (laughs) would you like to do? New investigations using all of this exciting Earth observation uh, technology?
2: I mean, I I think the exciting thing is just the, the number of new platforms and new instruments that are being launched at the moment and over the course of the next 10 years or so. And the European Space Agency are one of the kind of the leaders in this, which is bringing a lot more data available to us. And... I think that's going to give us the possibility of answering a lot more questions about environmental change and environmental management. So some of the questions at the moment that might be on people's minds as a result of things like climate change, things to do with flooding for example, so that we can get a much better understanding of areas that might be affected by flooding by taking both the visible and the the microwave data and using them together to understand things like uh, soil moisture. And then we've got an early warning system of when the soils are becoming saturated, not able to hold any more water, and therefore could potentially result in flood conditions.
0: And this, you're based in Cork, of course, and Mm -hmm. Cork has suffered from quite a bit of flooding. I mean, could could it help Cork to sort those issues out?
2: The satellite data won't on themselves help to sort the issues out because, you know, a lot of the flooding that takes place in Cork is within the urban areas where there's just too much water within the, the rivers. the water to be contained within the riverbanks. But what it will do is provide an earlier warning for uh, households, for companies to be able to install their their floodgates, to put into place the protective measures that will hopefully um, mean that their buildings and their premises won't be inundated with water.
0: Well, well, thank you, Fiona. It's really a highly relevant area of research. I mean, it impacts on so many things and uh, I really appreciate you talking to us. That's uh, Fiona Cockwell. She's a lecturer in geography at UCC. Thank you, Fiona. Now, in the second of our regular slots, we're featuring Irish space people, past and present, who've made an impact on space exploration and research. Arguably, The Irish person who had the most influence on space exploration was a gifted Dubliner who died 155 years ago. William Rowan Hamilton was born at 29 Dominic Street on Dublin city's north side in 1805. He showed incredible academic ability in languages, mathematics and physics from an early age and went on to study at Trinity College in Dublin. At the age of just 21, he was elected the Royal Astronomer of Ireland and went to live in Dunsink Observatory, which was part of the job, where he remained until his death in 1865. Although he was employed as an astronomer, Rowan Hamilton retained a huge interest in mathematics. Famously, on the 16th of October, 1843, he had a Eureka moment while walking along Dublin's Royal Canal. That's when he discovered a new number system which became known as quaternions. At the time, he was so worried he would forget the insight that had come to him that he cut the formula for quaternion multiplication into the stone of nearby Broombridge, which is now a Dublin Lewis stop. That formula, by the way, was I-squared equals J-squared equals K-squared equals I-J-K equals minus one, and it's commemorated today on a plaque set into the bridge. In 1969, 126 years after the discovery of Quaternions, they were used by NASA to land astronauts on the moon. To this day, they remain vital for the navigation of spacecraft and are also a key part of the software under the hood of the world's most popular computer games. What quaternions do for both spacecraft and computer games alike is that they provide a way for engineers, mathematicians and software designers to represent the relative movement of two or more objects in three-dimensional space. There's a great story about when Neil Armstrong visited Trinity College in Dublin in 1976 to receive an honorary degree. As he was walking through the college's old library, he paused reportedly at the marble bust of William Rowan Hamilton, where he talked about the role of his calculations and quaternions in controlling his spacecraft, Apollo 11 and others. Without quaternions guiding the way, Armstrong knew that he may have been unable to land Apollo 11 safely on the moon and be the first man to walk on its surface. Now in our final interview today, let's hear from Charlotte O'Kelly, CEO with TechWorks Marine.
3: So TechWorks Marine is a marine data provider. Uh, That means that we collect uh, marine data for a broad range of clients. And I'll go into that a bit later. Um, we have been around for 18 years now. Uh, I co-founded the company in 2002, collecting marine data from the, the marine environment, so putting equipment down at sea uh, to enable clients to manage their operations.
0: Okay. Now, can you tell me, speaking of your clients, can you tell me who they are and uh, are they growing in number?
3: So um, even though marine covers 70% of the globe, uh, it's still a very small sector, even on our island nation. So we work with clients both in Ireland, but also internationally. The main sectors would be ports and harbors, coastal engineering, marine renewable energy, uh, as well as aquaculture. We've always had a steady stream of clients as well, kind of in the research, both government research as well as academic research areas.
0: And the Earth observation data then, can you tell me about the different sources of that that you can access?
3: So you can access data from the satellites operated by the European Space Agency. So the Sentinel family of satellites. So Sentinel-1, 2 and 3, as well as 5P. You can access those um, freely and uh, openly through the Copernicus uh, Open Access Hub. All these very big words, it basically means through the the European Open Data Hub. Um, So that data is available freely, and then we can process it and quality control it here um, on our, our data service. We are also able to buy commercial data, so which generally is a lot higher in terms of resolution. Um, We can buy that should the need be for higher resolution product.
0: Can you tell me how the data might be used, for example, to detect changes in the coastal and marine areas and how, how you might put that data to good use?
3: So, so most of our clients work in the coastal area. And for me, the coastal area is basically what I can see from the beach or, you know, from, from the coastline. Uh, the scientific definition is about 50 or 100 kilometres offshore. When you're 50 kilometres offshore, you're really offshore, mostly on the west coast of Ireland. Um, so the, the coastal area is where there's the majority of the, I guess, commercial uh, interest in collecting information at sea. And as a result, turbidity, which is basically murkiness, is one of the big parameters that we would uh, be looking to commercialize. Uh, Turbidity is used, uh, let's say, for dredging projects uh, around the coastline, so the EPA actually puts in place turbidity monitoring thresholds that dredging projects cannot exceed to ensure that there is no uh, long-term damage on the the local environment and the local ecosystem. So turbidity is a really good uh, water quality indicator for both freshwater and marine. Um, You can use it to look at wastewater discharges and again for dredging, as I mentioned. Temperature is also a good indicator, uh, a good satellite product. It can give you information on wastewater discharges, so plumes, uh, etc. And I mean I live I live in Dunleary, and you know, there's a lot of press about all the E. coli blooms and E. coli coming from Ringsend. Well, you can use temperature data, temperature satellite data to look at the rings end plume actually, uh, in Dublin Bay, and it's quite interesting. So we then can use optical as well as as synthetic aperture radar to look at coastal morphology uh, monitoring, so changes in, um, in coastlines, erosion, uh, as well as accretion. And and then I'll go back to the chlorophyll A, you know, yes. as a water quality indicator. So it's about, it's about joining the dots between the different parameters, much as being able to monitor an algae bloom, you need to know about chlorophyll, but you also need to know about temperature and about oxygen in the water to understand the life cycle of that bloom. Um, It's the same thing with satellite data, turbidity and chlorophyll products generally go hand in hand. Daily products are interesting, but also looking at monthly products to understand seasonal as well as annual variations to understand uh, the human impact on our coastal environment and so forth. That's where satellite can really come into its own.
0: Uh, Now, looking a little bit ahead, where do you see the opportunities for TechWorks Marine, but for Earth Observation generally in Ireland over the next couple of years or decade or so?
3: Earth Observation in Ireland has a good future potential. Um, In terms of the environmental monitoring side and, and the area we're interested in, I guess if it can work reliably in Ireland, it can be exported to anywhere in the world. We have issues with clouds. At the moment, we cannot see through clouds with some of the satellites. Ocean color satellites, which are looking at the color of the sea, which are the main ones we would be using, can't see through clouds, which means that on a day like today, looking at my window, we have 60% cloud coverage. So we get very patchy data. So we are using Earth observation now with AI and machine learning to help us uh, refine products and services that we can then offer. So uh, in our specific case, you know, the Environment Protection Agency would seem like a very good, let's say, candidate to work with to develop, I guess, international best practice using Earth observation. I view that the future is quite positive on the commercial side. In terms of the compliance and statutory monitoring, I view that we have a lot to do as a country and I do think it needs to start with our national institutions um, because they need to be exemplars and you know show, show the way as well and show what can be done using such information from local businesses as well.
0: That was Charlotte O'Kelly. That's all for this, the first episode of Ireland's Place in Space, a new podcast celebrating the role of Ireland and Irish people out along the final frontier. I hope you enjoyed the show and it's been made possible with the support of Space Industry Skillnet that's an enterprise-led training network for Irish companies who are or who want to be involved in the delivery of technology and services to the global space market including ESA. If you did enjoy the show then please rate it or review it on the iTunes podcast platform or indeed any of the other platforms where it's available, including Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Google, Overcast, Radio Public, Spotify and Stitcher. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, or to make some suggestions or comments, or even to suggest a story worth covering, please email me, Sean Duke, presenter of Ireland's Place in Space, at seancduke at gmail.com. I'd like to wish you good health until we meet here again. Thank you for listening.